I'm Effie Parks. Welcome to Once Upon a Jane, the podcast. This is a place I created for us to connect and share the stories of our not-so-typical lives. Raising kids who are born with rare genetic syndromes and other types of disabilities can feel pretty isolating. What I know for sure is that when we can hear the triumphs and challenges from others who get it, we can find a lot more laughter, a lot more hope, and feel a lot less alone. I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Once Upon a Gene is proud to be part of Bloodstream Media. Living in a family affected by rare and chronic illness can be isolating, and sometimes the best medicine is connecting to the voices of people who share your experience. This is why Bloodstream Media produces podcasts, blogs, and other forms of content for patients, families, and clinicians impacted by rare and chronic diseases. Visit bloodstreammedia.com to learn more. Hi, friends, and welcome to the show. You're listening to Once Upon a Gene, and it's me, Effie Parks. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune into this episode. I'm so grateful that you're here. I'm talking to one rad dad, probably the raddest dad in town right now. He made a gene therapy for his son in 18 months, start to finish. And he not only created this just for his son, but the work that he's done has or will probably transform the way that rare diseases are treated as a whole. He went to the ends of the earth to create this gene therapy for his beautiful son, Michael, who has SPG50. And he started in Canada and the U.S. because he's determined to change the system. And if those big dogs are doing it, then everyone shall follow. After our recording, he said something that just really moved me. So I wrote it down really quick and I'm going to read off a quote that he said. He said, since the beginning of my career, it was almost like I was trained to cure my son. All these people that I worked with over the years who guided me to become this person, I realized that I can fix anything. I've had the most complex problems and I've learned to fix them. I never gave up and I'm not going to give up now and I'm not going to give up on this. I was programmed to do this. And with his story, that is so obviously the truth. He's a rare disease crusader, like so many other families who take on this monumental task to create drugs and therapies for all of our kids. Uh, he also is hosting a 101, 102, and 103 gene therapy course to help other families get their programs off the ground and help families who are already kind of in the middle and find the snags. You can join any of those classes for free. He's holding them once a month. You can sign up finding him on social media or go to curespg50.org to get in on one of those classes and to learn more about his amazing story about his son, Michael. Please enjoy my conversation with Terry Pirvalakis. Hello, Terry. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, I'm so excited to talk to you, as I think most most people are, especially rare parents with your latest success. So congratulations. We'll get into that a little later. I'd love to have a little background on you and hear about your little buddy, Michael, and your family. Yeah, absolutely. So on December 17, 2017, my little boy, Michael, was a seemingly a healthy little boy who was born, obviously. And then... We started noticing that he just wasn't reaching the milestones like my other children. So we brought him to the hospital and they did like, you know, like everybody else, 18 months of testing. 
they first they thought they had Zika, and then they thought he had CMV, and then we went through the panels, and then finally did a West report, and we found that he had this terrible disease called spastic paraplegia type 50 on April 2nd, 2019. And, you know, we spent two days just basically crying in a ball like most people do when they're diagnosed with these terrible diseases. And then, you know, we got up and we said, we're not going to accept this fate for my little guy. And we just started reading and we read about 100,000 articles. We were at ASGCT pretty much a month of the day that he was diagnosed. We then flew to Sheffield and Cambridge in the UK and met the seventh world expert in gene therapy. And then pretty much a month late, a month and a half later, we had signed a contract to start the gene therapy program with Dr. Stephen Gray kind of kicked off this journey. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay, Terry, what kind of background did you and your wife come from to like delve into all of those medical publications? And then, you know, you, you had the ability, the access to get on a plane and go meet everyone. How did you like get those connections, make those emails? Like, how was that situation? For the last three years, my day job has been an IT director at a bank. Um, my afternoon job is being a father. And then my evening job from nine till usually about two in the morning is being a, a troubleshooter to try to find a, a solution to our problem to save my son. My wife was a project manager at a large bank for almost 25 years. When Michael was diagnosed, we kind of stopped and uh, she focused on the family. And, you know, to be honest with you, um, the first day uh, we met a family that runs a foundation called SPG 47 and they, you know, took care of us and they showed us, you know, their beautiful daughter. And they said, you know, there's these things called gene therapy and, and ASOs and drug screening that you can do. And, you know, at the time it's like, well, what's going on? What is this stuff? And, but they sprinkled the idea. And then once that idea was sprinkled, it just, you know, we took off and I researched everything from stop codon drugs to ASOs to gene therapy to gene editing to lip and nanoparticle delivery. It was just down the rabbit hole completely. But I think what kicked it off the most was when we met a gentleman named Sean Eakins and he basically told me about the ASGCT conference and together we made this poster that said, wanted a cure for Michael and it's this, you know, this uh, cowboy kind of wanted poster and uh, I hung those up at the ASGCT conference and I met with uh, the NIH, the FDA, I met with like 20 companies and the world experts and the majority of the people that I kept asking was what would you do if you were in my situation and they said gene therapy and then the second question I asked them was with who and like 90% of them said you know Dr. Stephen Gray so it was a pointed path for us we just had to convince Dr. Gray and we were very fortunate that he took us on. It's like a cowboy in the wild, wild west. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> SPG 50 has a couple other variations that are connected to it, that are on the same pathway, that already had a foundation. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so AP4 is a protein complex that has four genes, and it's basically SPG 47, 50, 51, and 52 are the diseases. And uh, SPG 47 was already doing a natural history study, uh, Cambridge University already knew the dynamic of the disease. They studied it for the last 20 years. And actually, sort of the NIH and a team, another team out of London, which was crazy. So we understood the base mechanism of the disease. We understood that it was, you know, tra a transgogli delivery method protein complex. And we knew that if you, one of these genes failed, that the entire complex failed. And that basically meant that all four of the diseases were very similar. So with knowing this fundamental baseline biology and the idea that if you upticked enough of the gene, but the protein would self-regulate, we kind of had a path to move forward. 
A lot of the people listening are parents like you, families like yours who have a kiddo and they're fundraising and they're racing for, for a treatment for drug repurposing for gene therapy. How did you do this so fast, Terry? Like, how are you going to share your wisdom to all these families who are like grinding every single day trying to make this happen? It just seems like yours happened in light speed and it was so perfectly executed. What did you tell Dr. Gray and what did he say that you had to do next? Like what were the next steps that you took that maybe like contributed to your success? Yeah. And, and it's pretty interesting. You know, I told Dr. Gray, I wanted it as fast as humanly possible. I told him I wanted something in 18 months. And we kind of had this idea that if we showed it in skin cells um, or in cells, that we would then move into toxicology, which is kind of a, you know, a very risky proposition financially, because I was told by a very smart man who's guided us on this journey that mice are not humans and you may never get a mouse that shows a phenotype or at least create one that's going to show a phenotype and or even a rescue so what we did was we said okay as soon as we see recovery or we can prove recovery in a cell that we would then move into toxicology and that's exactly what we did so the the way we ran this was basically the second we saw cell recovery in fire blast which we showed over two different universities we moved into toxicology and, and we did it a bit crazily because we moved into toxicology before we would even ask the FDA for guidance during a pre-IND. And then we went to the pre-IND and Health Canada pre-CTA meetings and they kind of said, you know what, you know, that you're dosing the highest dose ever given in a human being. We, we don't really feel comfortable with a rat. We want you to also do um, a non-human primate. So we jumped on a call with Charles River and the team that we were working with. And within, I think, two days, we had uh, non-human primates ready for our next step. And we just started. So two months later, the monkeys, the non-human primates were dosed and we were moving on from that piece. And the crazy thing was we actually manufactured the drug before the finish of the non-human primate study. So we actually took, again, a, a significant financial risk by doing everything concurrently. Interesting. I know even just for our, our CTNMB1 foundation that's focusing on gene therapy, getting a non-human primate during COVID and afterwards has been almost impossible. So it sounds like just the waterfall of effects of once you decided to go on this path towards gene therapy, everything just happened in your favor. It was, it, you know, honestly, it was a lot of luck. It was, it was, I would say it's a, we were very fortunate to be blessed with a really good team of people. I mean, Charles River in Quebec threw out all the stops to get us the mice. Cause what happened when, our, sorry, the rats, what happened with our problem was um, we had a problem with our talks and we thought we weren't going to make the timeline and they actually found another set of rats. And then when we had the non-human primary problem, they called around to like a whole bunch of people that had extras and were like, you know, can you figure this out? And they really went above and beyond. And just to be honest with you, the entire team that we had went above and beyond. And it wasn't, this plan has always been, you know, the journey to cure Michael, but it's always been to cure SPG 50 as a whole. And, you know, we could have saved a million dollars and, and not done an, a larger batch and just treated Michael, but that's not what we wanted to do. Our goal has always been to treat as many kids as we can. And that's why we actually made 10 doses. And that's why we're actually, uh, hopefully starting November, we will dose a second patient at UTSW in Texas. We're actually, I was there, I was there last week arranging that trial to get that going. That is so cool. And yeah, I mean, of course, everyone's going to be so motivated to help this come to fruition, right? Like, this is saving children's lives. It's changing science. And 
I just love that you went in with that mindset that this wasn't just for Michael and that it was for the rare disease community and for other kids that you could help. Yeah. And Dr. Gray is very upfront about it too. He's like, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to do this for one child. I'm, I'm here to do it for many. And we, we were on the same path from the beginning. It was like, we were in the same wavelength from day one. And, and it was kind of crazy because once the proof of concept was done, they were too busy to take this on at UTSW because they had so many programs. And we found this team of FDA consultants and CMC consultants and tox consultants, and we just ran it. And everything was a decision amongst this very small team of individuals that said, do we feel we should you know, gamble $3 million? And the answer was yes. And then we, had very, we were very fortunate that we had an angel donor provide a million dollars when we were stuck at talk at manufacturing. And then when we did, did the non-human primate study, a company uh, was interested in the data and then they paid for the non-human primate study. So we were very fortunate that, you know, we, we not only was our community involved in helping us raise money and I never had an issue knowing that I didn't have enough money at any point in time, except for those two points, which were significant. That is so cool. Yeah, I mean, like we would just in Toronto here in my small community, we would just show up to events. We didn't even, most of the people we didn't even know. We met them at the event for the first time and they would just organize it. And we would show up and, they, and you know, like they had dance thons and galas and soccer tournaments and bowl a thons and lemonade stands. It was, it was crazy. Yeah. So something you did was, yeah, you told your story, you made a film and you put it out there and it sparked something in people and they wanted to help and so they showed up and just started raising money on your behalf yeah like i mean we had a we had a guy named bottle bob and he was the first guy to find out and uh what he does he goes around and collects cans and, and bottles from the area and then he donates it to baseball teams and soccer teams and everything else in the community and he's like i'll be here every month with a check or money to help you and sure enough, he's been he's been here every month, dropping off money from what he raises, and then and like literally, just people have just been you know helping us from the very beginning, and it's just been amazing. I mean, there's signs all over our area that say Cure SPG 50, like lawn signs. You know, it's just again, it's been an amazing support that we've system we've had. I can't wait to see this movie someday. I hope it's like Adam Sandler's best friend who plays <laughs> Bottle Pop. So great. You know, and and on top of that, I mean, it's um. Like I said, everything just worked. We were very lucky. We were very fortunate how everything played out. And and on top of that, I was getting phone calls pretty much every week from families around the world. And I would spend an hour or two on the phone at night after the kids go to bed and and help them along this journey. And I think right now, you know, of the hundreds that have called me, 30 of them were actually serious and took this on. And we're working with them to see this to fruition. And actually, some of them are very close as well. It's not a, it's not a need. It's like, uh, it's, it's almost, it's a, I'm not even sure how to even put it, but I just, I feel that I have to save these kids. You know, there's, there's something inside me that says that, you know, I have to help these families save these children. Just like, like they would for me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I do know. What are some of the main things that you walk these serious 30 families through? Well, the first thing with the discussion is that, you know, you have to, you have to be able to raise a lot of money and you have to be willing to give up everything. If you're not willing to give up your life, like I was willing to go my life. I was at the doctors when they told us, I'm like, okay, we're, what do you need? My liver, my kidney, my heart. Let's, you know, let's get into the operating room. And they're like, that's not how it works, unfortunately. Cause I was naive at the time. You have to be willing to sell your home and give up everything that you have because there may be a chance, might be a point where you might need to. I mean, if that million dollar donor didn't give us the money, we would have sold our home to do it. So I think that, you know, the first thing is you have to, you have to have a solid family bond. You know, like my wife and I basically said, you know, I'm going to be gone for a bit. You're going to have to take care of the kids 
And, and we're gonna have to do this to save Michael and we were fully on the same page. That's number one. Then number two is just trying to find the right team. And that's kind of where I've been guiding people is, you know, making sure they find the right team. And that's why this weekend I'm doing the Gene 101 class because <laughs> it was just too many people calling me. And I think we have like 26 people on it for the first Gene 101 class, which was crazy. Yeah, that's so cool. I'm coming to that. I can't wait. And you're going to probably have to put on a couple of those. So buckle up. Yeah, I plan to do one every month. Just to... <laughs> Good. <laughs> I know it was groundbreaking that Michael was one patient who got the dose. How did that happen? How did you get that approved? Like every part of your story. I'm just like, how? How, Terry? And how terrifying was that for him to be the only test subject, if you will, to be getting that one dose? Yeah. And I think, you know, when you think about like gene therapy is not 100% safe, right? There's problems with it, right? There's, you know, adenomas and carcinomas and there's, you know, DRG toxicity and, you know, effect, you know how 95% of it hits the other organs. It's, it's a very scary thing to be put into a situation. But the reality is for our children, there really is nothing else that compares, right? And um, so what happened was when we applied to Health Canada and the FDA at the same time, Michael was the only child in Canada, so it kind of made sense to apply in Canada and then, you know, not have to fly him somewhere around the world when he's immunocompromised. So I went to the CEO of SickKids and I said, you know, if we do get this approved in Canada, would you be willing to help us? And he said, absolutely. So we worked towards Canada and the crazy thing is they respond back within 15 days usually of an application. So we had enough data to show, you know, at least in an end of one safety study, that we could move forward while we worked on the data because you know the, the fda for a full trial is a lot more in depth so while we were working on that we, we applied to canada and they approved us and then we worked with sick kids and uh, it took about two or three months to get the arab approval and pretty much the around the same time that michael was dosed we were already working on our application for the other children we, we never lost sight of either of them. How much of the process did you get to be involved with? Like, did you get to make decisions? Like how hands on were you from the beginning? I wrote the draft protocol. I wrote the 2.4 draft, you know, basically I wrote all the draft documents. I was, I'm pretty much hands on on everything, you know, I mean, obviously there's everybody else is the, are the leaders, but as you can imagine, these doctors are very busy. So I try to become that bridge point between the FDA consultant and the doctors to put everything in the, in together in the documents so that, you know, they're not looking at it for the first time or drafting it for, you know, 20 hours. I do that work and then everybody comes together to, to make it better. Yes. So awesome. I love that so much. I think about gene therapy and our kids getting older, right? And, you know, our friend Mike Grawley always says time is brain. And some of us have lost hope along the way that gene therapy maybe won't be the answer for our kids the older they get. You know, the, the things that happen when they're young can't necessarily be reversed, or can they? And I wonder, like, I know it can take a year or maybe even more for the effects to show up. Have you seen anything yet in Michael? And if so, what are they? Or when do you expect to hopefully see some sort of improvement from the dose? I'll say this. I don't think there's ever too late for gene therapy. That's my perspective. And I know that the industry is up in arms around cure versus treatment. And, I, and I'll put my perspective out there and it's, you know, probably get a whole bunch of emails after this. But my perspective is if we can get to children that are one to six months old, that these treat, these will be cures. Anything beyond that, you know, once the blood brain barrier closes at two and the children get older and they have become more spastic, then these become less and less of a cure and are becoming treatments. 
So unfortunately for my son who got it at four years of age, this is gonna be a treatment, not a cure. But if we are able to get this approved, then that's one of the reasons why we're doing this 10 children cohorts. If we can get it approved, you know, if, if, if the FDA sees that this is an ultra rare condition with 90 kids in the world and understands how complex it is to raise, to make, you know, $12 million in drug, then we can get it out there and we can, and we can treat more kids. And then it'll be on the, the heel prick, right? It'll be part of the initial newborn screening program. And then we will be curing kids, not treating them. Right. And I think that's that's one thing I want to delineate that, you know, there's a certain age that is is a cure and there's a certain age that it's a treatment. And I pray that my son becomes the cure. But I think the reality is it'll most likely be just a treatment. Yeah. And I appreciate that perspective. And I think all of us really do agree with you. If anything, that treatment can potentially help slow the progression. Right. Which is more than you could ask for when you had nothing to grab onto in the beginning. Yeah, like, I mean, the, the reality is if we do nothing, Michael will be a 20-year-old quadriplegic with the mentality of a two-year-old, right? And and if we're lucky, maybe he'll never walk. Okay, that's that's fine with me. But if he can crawl into his bed or into the bathtub or onto the toilet or tell us that he's in pain, maybe not verbally, but maybe through sign language to tell us he's hungry or he has to go to the bathroom or he wants to go play, you know what I mean? That will be an improvement on his life. And then when we're not here, at least someone else can at least help him, right? Instead of being, you know, this child that's in the corner that no one understands. And that's not what I want to leave for my son. So raise a bunch of money. Stay close with your family. <laughs> uh, you're going to give people some Gene Therapy 101 classes and make templates for a lot of those submissions. I hope that you, you know, passed on to all of your scientists. What else do families need to do right now? Like, where do they need to think? Where do they need to place their bets? What advice do you have for anyone considering gene therapy or who have just been raising a bunch of money and not seeing the light at the end of the tunnel? So what I would say is as much as I don't want everybody calling me, <laughs> take my gene 101 class. If your child's gene is too big, reach out to me and I can help you through this journey. Everybody should be applying for Enlorem if you're an ultra rare condition under 10 children in the world. Uh, for that specific variant, you should be applying for Enlorem no matter what, even if you don't think an, an ASO is going to work. And if you have extra money, you know, 200000 or less, you should be looking at the Broad Institute's drug screening program or rare base to potentially find a drug because, you know, it's a, it's a small amount of money for potentially something that might help. Look at stop codons, absolutely. If your child has a stop codon, you know, Adalurin hasn't been shown to be too good, but you can try it. And there's a drug called Eloxo2 as well that's supposed to be amazing. Um, there's a lot of modalities that you can go down. There's a lot of things you can do. So I would say first take the course. If you're stuck, I would say reach out to me. You know, I might be a bit delayed. On top of that, I'm also about to start a new venture, hopefully if it kicks off in the next couple of months, which will, which will hopefully take a bunch of uh, rare diseases to the clinic because I, I think we have a path forward. I think we can help a lot of diseases and it's going to be a nonprofit to, to help as many families as we can. So we, we have a whole bunch of things in the, on the plate. I'm, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out my time, but I think that in the end, we just have to figure out a way to save, save our kids. Mm. Oh my gosh. I cannot wait to hear more about that. There needs to be more rare disease focused nonprofits, you know, offering resources like that. Tell me about November. And are you going to be like keeping everybody posted on dosing these new kids? Is that super private? Like, what are we going to know about that? Yeah, I think I think we'll probably post about when we dose the child. We probably won't post who that child is or how they're doing because, you know, 
it's kind of like in, in secrecy, but we'll, we'll be keeping people posted on the first child, the second child, the third child. Right now we have six doses that Virogen made for us and we're, we're actually making another batch right now. So we're hopefully gonna have 10 or more. So, you know, that's our goal. And I think we actually might be opening up a trial in, in Europe and another one in the US. So we have a lot of things going on at the same time. And the, and the goal is, is to try to help as many kids as we can. And if we raise more money, we'll treat more kids, right? That's what it comes down to. But going back to the initial thing where you were saying, like, how do people do this? It's, it's, uh, it's get your community involved, get your, get your friends and family involved, get, you know, th think outside the box. Like an example was I started riding my bike for the first time like, two years ago. Uh, in a very long time and my wife was like well, why don't you ride from toronto to vancouver which is like riding from new york to san francisco and i'm like yeah i'm riding 10 kilometers a day i don't think we're gonna be riding 4,000 kilometers across canada but then we came up with this crazy idea that i would ride from toronto to ottawa and meet the prime minister so i got on my bike and i trained pretty much for six weeks every other night from nine till two in the morning and I rode as far as I humanly could during those five hours or four hours and then rode back. And eventually we got the stamina up and I rode from Toronto, Ottawa for four days, um, which was the hardest thing I ever physically did in my life. Um, and we raised a whole bunch of awareness. We met the prime minister, which kind of fell on deaf ears. We told them that they need to do a program similar to what they're doing in Germany and Italy and France to save our children, but it didn't go anywhere. And then the next one I'm, I'm, planning to do is ride from Toronto to Washington and try to convince, you know, uh, uh, President Biden or the vice president to do something similar to what we're, what we were talking about, a, a U.S. system on rare disease. Because I think we don't, we don't have that right now. We have pieces of it, but we need a, we need a system like, you know, what they have in France. Terry, you make everything sound so easy. And you know what? I'm here for it. You're a <laughs> badass advocate and your groundbreaking work and just attitude towards it. It's it's changing the world and we're seriously so lucky to have you yeah i just like i said it's just you know i see like i literally see these kids and i and i start crying because i'm like i just we just have to do something so it's uh you know us as parents we we make our own our, our own decision in lives and it's and it's our fault what happens in our lives these kids were born and they don't deserve what, what's coming to them okay well tell everybody how they can sign up for your course yeah, um, just uh, find me on social media. You go to CurisPG50 on any of the social media platforms or look me up, Terry Pirovalakis. Shoot me an email uh, at tpirovol at hotmail.com. Just find me anywhere. Say, hey, I want to be part of the course and I will add you on. And if you're not on this month, you'll definitely be on next month for sure. Awesome. You're the man. And we'll put in Lorem and Rarebase and all that stuff in the show notes too. So sorry about your inbox, Terry. Not that it's probably any different than it already is. I'm so excited for our community and for little Michael and for all these other kids coming up. So thank you for all the work. We just need it to work. Yep. Amen. And thank you for sharing your homework and educating the rest of us who are trying to save these kids. Keep me in mind if you ever need any message spread or if you need any help. Love to be of service in any way that I can. So just let me know. Awesome. I think that the race across America for that presidential meet should be like all of us. Yeah. And that's what was, like my, my idea around it was, you know, I crossed the border. Right. And it's just like, as we go through Pennsylvania or whatever it is, you know, people just join in, like, you know, like what's that movie? Um, yes. Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump. Exactly. <laughs> right. It's like, where does these parents are just like trailing behind and we get to the U S Capitol and we're like, 
you can't ignore us. There's too many of us now, right? And it's oh like, my God, yes, yes. Like that beautiful photo of Judy Human, you know, with the disability rights movement. Exactly. We need to. We need to. It needs to be to the point where they just. There's so many people that they can't ignore, and then, you know, policy will change because the only way we're ever going to get a significant amount of money to change this is policy change. And stories, yeah, it's just not going to happen without us. Yeah. Like, and and the thing, like, I know we're going overboard, but like the thing is, you can't you can't get a drug to kids. Like, at a million dollars to treat a kid and get the drug. You can't even open 90. It has to get approved. We have to get it to the insurance companies to pay for it. So we have to think outside the box. We have to get it there quicker. We can't do a phase one, a phase two, a phase three, a phase four. We have to like try to do one good trial with really good data and, and convince the FDA and plead with them to, to understand that, you know, not that many people can make 12, 12 or $20 million in drug and move these things forward. And that's what we're, we're, we're going to try to do with our program. And hopefully it can be repeated because it's the only way. Otherwise, only rich families will be able to, or the ones that are really successful in raising money. And as the market gets harder and harder, it's going to be harder and harder to raise money. Right? So we, we can't have 5,000 of us on, on GoFundMe. It's going to be, it's going to be drowned out. No, it's not sustainable. It doesn't make sense. And it's, it cannot continue. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Terry, you're the man. Uh, <laughs> sorry you're here. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Just really, really grateful and appreciative of everything you've done for all of our kids. Yeah, we're just, we're just getting started. Yes. <laughs> yeah, awesome. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this show with your people. And please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story, or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate you all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you. <laughs>